Hi, Remember Me listeners. We know you guys love music, but do we have any vinyl record collectors like me? If so, you need to check out our sponsor, Vinyl Confessions. Vinyl Confessions is a carefully curated online vinyl record shop with a mission to heal the world of its pain one record at a time. This small business has an amazing selection of new vinyl records, everything from classic live shows, amazing jazz albums, and many new releases like Taylor Swift's Fearless album. Vinyl Confessions has given our listeners a 20% off code to go check them out. So you're going to go to vinylconfessions.com. That's vinyl without the I, V-N-Y-L confessions.com and use code RememberMe for 20% off at checkout. Hi everyone, I'm Rachel and I'm Maria and we're the hosts of Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with dementia. We hope this episode helps you feel more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. It's episode two of season four, and we're diving right in with our first story of the season. This story is told by our new friend, Shay, and I just wanted to let you guys know that she will be referring to her mom's diagnosis in this story as Pick's disease, and that is because, as you'll learn, her mom was diagnosed in the 90s, and that was kind of the term that was being used for FTD at that time. And this is a really, really heartbreaking story. We just love how vulnerable Shay was with us and we want to show her lots of love. So be sure to comment on our Instagram, share your love and support of Shay on the episode art. And without further ado, Here is the story of Shay's beautiful mom, Mrs. Hast. I know your mom's name is Nancy, but she liked to be called... Mrs. Hast. Mrs. Mrs. Hast. Hast. Yeah. So we're going (laughs) to learn all about Mrs. Hast today. And just like every other episode, we start with the first time you thought wait a minute, something's not quite right with my mom. Can you walk us through that? Yes. All of this is from childhood memory. I was in dance school and there was a new kid in town at the dance school who was being professionally trained. And she kind of, (laughs) she kind of was known as like the the mean girl. Um, But it was really that we were just all jealous of her technique. And I remember my mom was in the lobby area watching through the window our class and she she saw her doing some type of arabesque move and she said that girl what a show off aloud right in front of the girl's mother right in front of the secretary of the dance school and Mrs. Hast would not do that never ever she was the backstage mom she was everyone's favorite she would never have made a snide remark like that 
So I shortly found out after that she had uh, been asked to resign from being the brownie leader. So I don't know, but I can only speculate that she had probably started making some off-color remarks there too. So that's really when I started to know something's different about mom. And what did you think it was? You said you were young. So very young. Yeah. Could you really make sense of it? I don't even think that I was trying to. I think that it was something that was put more on my sister's shoulders at the time because she, she and my brother are both much older than I am. So my sister is 12 years older. My brother is 16 years older than I am. So I'm the baby baby. Mm. And you're so the favorite. I'm noticed, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You sorry. Know. Sorry, sis. And Didn't bro, want to have to say it. Right. They know, we all know. know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was seeing these things happen, but I wasn't really thinking anything of it because to me, that's still mom. Maybe she's having an off day, but it was probably my sister being like, mm, that's weird that she would say that and not just think it. <laughs> right. Right. How old are you at this point? At this point, I'm, I want to say I was about nine years old. Wow. So you were young. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she's making these like, I mean, I sort of have to agree with Mrs. Hast. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I feel like we'd be really good friends. Okay. Back to the start. <laughs> I so feel like she- you would too. Totally. Oh my gosh. I can, I envision her. I don't know what she looks like at all, but I could see her standing there like this, looking at the girl like, "Mm, yikes. Okay. So she's making these comments. What happens next? So what happens next is I actually have a journal entry here that I wrote because I don't remember from my perspective, the deterioration from that point of making these remarks, but I have a journal entry. It's in my fifth grade class in 1995. It's titled Big, Huge Mess. I said, I have the biggest problem in the whole world. I came to school at 7.30 a.m., which was early for me. That's because, and you have to promise never to tell anybody, my mom is missing. She went to Pathmark last night and didn't come back. I can't let anybody know, not even Dr. Kennedy, my principal. Please don't tell. (gasps) And that was to my fifth grade teacher who said, I won't tell, but someone told me yesterday afternoon. And he was, my teacher was promising to speak to one of the bullies in class who wouldn't leave me alone at the same time that this was happening. So I was dealing with being picked on regular kid stuff. But meanwhile, this kid had no idea that my mom, I had no idea where she was. And I remember waking up that morning and my sister who had already assumed taking care of me at that point, she woke me up and said, don't panic. I need you to wake up right now. I need to take you to school. Mom is missing. You're not allowed to tell anyone. Oh my gosh. So that, that was the so traumatic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I went uh, to school like nothing, but just told my journal about it. Oh, well, thank God for your journal. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote some stuff in there. Okay. So you're in fifth grade. You're trying to, I'm sure, be like a good student, and mm-hmm. your mom is nowhere to be found. Yeah. If you go back into your memory, do you remember this or is mm-hmm. it just sparked by the journal? I remember it. What were you thinking at this point? I was kind of in suspension of disbelief. Um, It didn't occur to me how long it might be that she might be missing for. Um, If it might mean that she's laying in a ditch somewhere that none of that occurred to me because we were so used to her doing overnight uh, grocery shopping because she loved to avoid having to deal with crowds. Okay. So it wasn't out of the out of the normal for her to just, okay, it's midnight. I'm going to go to Pathmark now and do our shopping. 
Okay. So when did she return? Do you remember that? She were, they found her 24 hours later. So this was the next entry. My mom had driven a lady home from Pathmark to New Milford, which was one town away. We lived in a one square mile town in Jersey and she had gotten lost dropping off this random person to New Milford. But it was also very commonplace for my mom to drop off strangers where they needed to go. Um, She got lost in New Milford. Then she ended up in Rockland County. She turned around from there and ended up in Somerville. And now she's being hospitalized in a hospital she hates. So what happened was that she had ended up in South Jersey. We lived in Northern Jersey, like five minutes from the Bronx. And in South Jersey, about two hours away from home, she was found two miles walking from the car that she had crashed. And mind you, this is December, so it's icy outside. Uh, She was found by a state trooper walking on a broken ankle in a zombie-like state. Oh, no. And just had no idea about any of this not being normal. Wow. First of all, I have to say, I'm obsessed with the fact that you brought journal entries. Yeah. That <laughs> awesome. I mean, you're really bringing us back in time in the mind of a nine-year-old. I I guess my next question is like, I'm assuming they thought something, you know, mentally was wrong and put her like got her some medical attention. The police did, or what? What happened? No, so, no. I think what what people get to understand about about my experience with Pick's disease is that there are resources out now. There's the internet now, there's YouTube. There's an amazing story called, this, isn't, uh, this is not Jackie anymore, where I found another person in Australia dealing with a parent that has Pick's disease. But in 1995, the most that anyone knew was a literal blip on an Alzheimer's form mm-hmm. about all we know about this thing called Pick's is that it's a form of Alzheimer's, but I'm, I'm getting far ahead of myself though, because what ended up coming from her being discovered on the highway was she was hospitalized for about 10 days. She was diagnosed with severe depression and we were encouraged to start family therapy. It was intervention style. So that's where at this point, I'm 10 years old. That's where I'm attending sessions with my mom, my father, my sister and brother. And I'm begging and pleading with her to snap out of it. We were just being encouraged to love her harder and to just, if we yell at her, if we let her know how this is breaking our hearts, then maybe she'll start showering again. Because at this point, the symptoms are just accelerating rapid fire. So yeah, that we were in, in de- uh, <laughs> dealing with what we thought was depression mm-hmm. for about a year. So at that point, was she still at home or was she Mm -hmm. in it? Okay. So, so you were, I have like 700 questions. Let me start with one. When she was hospitalized because of the time, meaning like 1995, Mm -hmm. did they think to, or suggest MRI pet cat, any type of scan of the brain? Nothing. None. None. According to my sister, it wasn't until a year, a year after that, that my sister took it upon herself to um, go see a neurologist. They did an EEG, which came up normal. And it was the MRI that showed that she had darkness in her frontal lobe, but the neurologist didn't know what it was. So Hmm. that's when they told my sister to take her to Columbia Presbyterian, where she was finally diagnosed with Pick's disease. But my, you know, at this point she's incontinent. 
she can't hold herself up anymore. So my sister was telling me the other day that she was lining the backseat of her car. And my sister was only 22. She's having to line the backseat of her car with trash bags to catch any overflow from the adult diapers that my mom was already having to wear. And anytime she would make a turn in the car, my mom would just flop over like a doll. She would walk into glass doors. There was one incident where she walked into a glass door at a social security office and broke her nose. So it was just incredibly dangerous. And my, my poor sister was having to take it all on while taking care of me. So minus like the physical, was she still extremely behavioral? Yes. So I couldn't have friends over anymore, which was very odd because I was the house to go to. Mrs. Hass was the place to be. Um, she, she cooked the best food. She, she knew exactly what we wanted to watch in terms of movies, Homeward Bound all day, you know, and Beethoven. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, every time. Bound. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my mom was just, it was just all about Mrs. Hast. You know, everybody knew her for like bringing in the latkes to school during Hanukkah and teaching us about the Jewish holidays so I wouldn't get bullied. And suddenly you can't go over Mrs. Hast's house anymore because if we're all in, this, in the living room together, she might go to the bathroom. And when she comes back out of the bathroom, she's not wearing a shirt anymore and she's slapping her belly to a beat. Um, mm-hmm. She was eating uh, Stella Doro cookies nonstop, like no other meals, but Stella Doro cookies 24 seven. She started um, the repetitive phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an interesting story about that. So while all of this is going on, my father decided to convert from Judaism to Messianic Judaism, which is basically Jews for Jesus. So while this is happening, he comes home and he tells me that I'm going to burn in hell because I haven't found Jesus. <laughs> 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And now, mind you, this is before in the chapter before she got diagnosed that whole year, so many different things happened. Mm-hmm. And because we thought that it was quote unquote, just depression, I had to come home from school and have a little bit of alone time with my mom before my sister or any adults were, were coming home in that time. She was abusing me. So there were times where she was so physically abusive that I would run out of the house and just leave her alone. And if the house burned down, then it burned down. But there was one time that I came home and she had the heater set up next to her chair. And I kept trying to pull it away and saying, mom, mom, that's going to start a fire. And she would get up in her zombie-like state. And she was much taller than I am. I'm, I'm the, the shrimp in the family. And she would grab it back. And then the third time I did it, she cornered me and raised her hand slowly And just without even thinking, I punched her in the face to get out of being Mm -hmm. cornered. And I ran out the house. And when I came home, um, my brother saw that she had a black eye and screamed at me. And another time that I had come home uh, to take advantage of the the repetitive phase, my father decided to bring his priest in. And my mom was a proud Jewish woman. And he has this priest over her saying, Nancy, I love Jesus, like whatever the the conversion thing was that they were doing. And she would say, I love Jesus, you know, that kind of thing back and forth. Mm -hmm. I have so many follow-up questions, but I think the most important, it's not even a question is how absolutely terrifying for you as a small child to come home to the unknown every day. What, what was she going to be like? how can you protect yourself? How can you protect her? Now the question, how did you get through that? How did you cope with that? Do you remember? I, um, 
I didn't. Yep. That's an honest, very honest. My sister would take me out for like late night drives and we would just listen to music all the time. That was the best that either of us could do. Whew. You're a very good, very good storyteller. I feel like I'm in your house. I feel like I'm there. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm watching this house. Like this poor woman. Like, I just feel so, I feel so terrible for you. I feel so terrible for your mom. Like, Mm -hmm. because what we know now is that she didn't have control. I mean, I don't know how, how you have, you know, processed it all, but with a lot of things that happen with my mom, I'm like, Oh, she didn't, she didn't have control. And that's funny. You say that another journal entry. Yes. I love the journals. I feel um, like I'm looking at a baby Shay when you read them. I'm like, yes, sweetie. I, yeah, I uncovered them the other night and I was like, wow, I can't believe I wrote all this stuff down. So I, I had already been writing in the journal telling my teacher what was going on at home and that my mom isn't taking care of me anymore. But what hadn't set in again, this is pre-diagnosis was that she wasn't going to come back from it. So I was still writing down things like, I can't wait for my mom to bring in the latkes this year. Everybody always asks me, when is Mrs. Hass bringing potato latkes? And I'm still thinking she's going to do that. I'm still thinking that she's going to sew me the Halloween costume, this epic Halloween costume that she makes me each year. But I had this entry here where part of it, my house had flooded and there was oil in the basement. So the police all came, the firefighters, and my brother had my sister take my mom and I to the mall. So I wrote... Um, My sister and I were getting very embarrassed by my mom. She was acting like a baby on purpose. We both knew she could control that. We had no idea she couldn't. Right. Right. When you And how would you have, you know, how would you, how old was she at this time? So she was 48 when she first started showing symptoms. So let's go back to, you guys thought it was depression. Here we go. You know, everybody sit down and yell at her and then hug her and all the things. Yeah. And then your sister was like, "Mm -mm, something else is going on. So she went to the neurologist. You guys got the MRI. What happened then? Um, At that point, my sister was pleading with my father to get some type of in-home care because she was trying to take her to this, um, have this bus come and get her for adult daycare. But even getting her ready to get on the bus was a nightmare because of the fact that she couldn't hold herself up. My sister was trying to dress her. She was incontinent. All of this is happening at once. My sister has to get to work. It just not, it wasn't melding. (laughs) And so my sister told me that for a short time, she kept trying to drive her to the daycare center. But yeah, it was a huge fight with my father to get some type of in-home care. I don't even remember that ever happening. I think that she just immediately went into a nursing home. Okay. And what was that like for your family? Cause I know it's hard putting a loved one yeah. in a nursing home, but I'm sure there's also a little like self-preservation in there as well. Like you guys kind of had to keep going, you know, for yeah. lack of a better word. Right. I remember when she was in the nursing home, uh, when she first went in, she was in a wheelchair, but it was very much like, how can I say this? I, I have a lot of guilt around her having to be put in a nursing home, but in that household, with the dysfunction and with my sister being the only person taking care of anything. Um, it was just not going to be able to, to happen. It doesn't sound like it was safe either. It wasn't safe. It wasn't safe. No, you know, I hope you guys forgive yourself. I know I understand the guilt, but yeah, I mean, 
the house could have burned down. You know, there's so many mm-hmm. things that could have happened. And unfortunately, that that sounds like that was absolutely the best thing to yeah. do for your mom. It definitely was. It definitely was. When she went into the nursing home, my father found a woman that was at the church that he was attending and moved her into the house. What? Um, He moved her in on Rosh Hashanah, which is a high holy day. Happy Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. Ironically, she was a gold digger, which was funny because my father didn't have money. Like... (laughs) Uh, we're a family of musicians, but my father at that point was losing his marbles so much because my mom, the entire time that they were together had wanted to leave him. Uh Um, She had very low self-esteem and she had told me, this was probably one of the remarks that she said when she didn't have the capacity to filter herself, but she said to me that she married him as a punishment to herself because she, uh, she had grown up being sexually abused And so she had very low self-esteem and my father was just awful. And so, yeah, he decided to move this woman into the house. And when I'm supposed to be able to, uh, and my brother and sister are supposed to be able to focus on our mom who's dying in a nursing home. Instead, we're having to battle each day, this, this woman that's shown up and is living here with us in a Cape in Dumont um, with five people. My brother had just moved his wife in. It was just insane. It was like, how many more people could you fit in that house? Right. How, how much more chaos could you have taken as a small child? Right. Right. When you guys got the diagnosis of PICS, was it any sense of understanding or relief? Or did you feel like, ah, this is why she's coming out with no shirt on? Like, was it I don't know the word. It's not helpful, but was it reassuring that uh-huh. right, this is it? Right. Yeah. It might've been for my sister, but because there was so little information out there, we were still completely lost. We didn't know what the progression was going to look like. Um, we didn't know how long it was going to take. We didn't know what to, pre- what to predict. It was kind of just like reading a horoscope and being like, oh, I've been there. I've felt those things. I've seen her do the repeating stage. I've right. seen her obsess over the same cookie but we didn't know what it would turn into. So this is the first interview we've done where like a diagnosis came 20 plus years ago. How many years? Almost 30 don't years? Don't ask me oh to do math. <laughs> <laughs> so many years ago. And I know that we talk a lot on the podcast about our frustration with the current state of receiving a diagnosis and how that is. I imagine you weren't present for that, but maybe your sister had shared with you like, you know, did the doctor have any sort of plan or any information? Like, like, what did they say to you? This is what it is. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. There's no way to tell if at the time, there's no way to tell if any of you will get it. There's no way of telling how she got it. Uh, just, sit, you know, start to, you can say your goodbyes type of thing, but she, we can't tell you if she knows who you are anymore. We don't think she does. That was impossible to find out. Mm-hmm. Right. And So you guys put her in the nursing home. Would you, as a young girl, go visit her? Or was it kind of like, I don't know, it's too hard. You know, what was the relationship like from that point on? I don't remember visiting her that often. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when I did visit her, I don't think I would be there very long. 
I think my sister was the only one that was probably visiting her at that time. My brother was very avoidant, but um, yeah, the, the most visitation I remember was the 24 hours leading up to um, before she passed. Wow. And that was about four years after diagnosis. That was 1999. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. It sounds like you lived through a battle. And I know they say, you know, it's a family disease, but I think your story illustrates that um, in terms of the chaos it brought into the home. It sounds like the disease really escalated quickly and she had all these symptoms and then she just kind of plateaued. It was um, a fast acceleration. Almost in my memory, I feel like one day I went to visit her and she was in a wheelchair and we, we actually got my dancing school to, um, we used to always perform at different nursing homes. And we actually, I don't know why I did this, but I asked if we could perform at her nursing home and I regretted it instantly because this woman that was the backstage mom was now sitting there looking like she was an extra from awakenings, mm-hmm. the movie mm-hmm. and front and center. And I was embarrassed. Um, I couldn't look at her. I was, I was so humiliated to be putting her in front of my friends. Um, it just didn't feel right. But then I feel like maybe a few months after that, she was in a bed and couldn't move and couldn't speak, couldn't do anything. So you guys, I, some people don't like to talk about this. So stop me if you don't want to, you guys, I don't like to talk about it. Okay. Maria. Okay. If you don't want to, (laughs) you guys got the call that wasn't looking good. And they let you guys all come in. I'm talking like it's COVID. They let you guys come in. Um, What was that like, the end? What was that like for you guys? I don't remember anyone coming to say their goodbyes, except for my sister and I. I remember that we spent all day watching taxi marathons on VHS. Um, She had all of her Rodgers and Hammerstein favorite musicals lined up on VHS, but what I hated was that her name was written on them in marker because it's not, you know, you have to know it's Mrs. Hass property. I hated that. So yeah, we watched the taxi marathon and, and I just sat there writing poetry and my sister was just talking to her and we stayed as long as we could, but I was really, really tired. So I want to say it was 3am. And so we went home and my sister wanted to get up first thing to go right back. Uh, cause she didn't want her to pass away alone. And, um, we woke up late and we were rushing and, uh, <laughs> we would never show up empty handed. So we stopped in closer to grab a bunch of heroes, hoagies for anyone that's listening and needs a regional term. Um, we, so we grabbed those sandwiches and we're rushing over and, um, cause the nursing home wasn't close by and, uh, as we pull up, my father was standing outside and um, I don't even think I heard him say anything. I just ran down the, the corridors and I, I ran past the um, nurses all standing outside. And when I got in, um, that's when I saw she was gone. And they told us that in her last moments, she was having her, um, her bath. And so as the nurse was was bathing her back. She had her leaning up and sitting forward. And she said that um, right in front of her by the door were some family photos that she was fixated on. 
and that she looked normal and that they hadn't seen her look like that before. And my sister was just yelling at herself, why did I have to get sandwiches? They say that sometimes they wait for the family to leave before they move on. I do have to say that um, that whole week, my mom had stopped swallowing. Mm -hmm. And so my father was trying, he had, uh, what is that, um, that legal notice, uh, custodial power of attorney, power of attorney. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he had taken that over and my mom had always said she never wanted anyone to wipe her ass. That's she always, (laughs) Oh, Mrs. Hast. Okay. And so when she stopped swallowing, um, and she also was having pneumonia frequently, mm-hmm. my father signed to have a feeding tube put in and my sister and I were trying to fight it. And I remember, um, I remember that before we could find out that we, our wishes were granted. That's when she went. Wow. Sometimes they say they know you know, one way or the other, maybe she gave you her last, there you go, girls, you won. Yeah. Your story is, I don't even know the word. I guess I really wasn't expecting it. Do you know, like stories follow like a normal trajectory, I feel like, but yours is so full of, how do I explain it? Maria, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I think all the stories we hear are, are unique in their own way, but there is such a like high level, high amount of like trauma here. And it's such a young age. I just, I can't believe like you're like talking to us right now, like that you're like a functioning human <laughs> and society, like successful person and taking time out of your day to try and like raise awareness for this disease. Like it, I think it kind of would have been okay if you're just like went off the deep end after all that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I definitely had a very, very hard time after that. Um, I had, we were kicked out of my home. Um, my sister and I were kicked out of our home by our father before that, I was begging him to take me with him to, to the diners that he would frequent because there was never any groceries in the house because he refused to give my sister money to take care of me. Um, I ended up in a halfway home uh, because my sister didn't have a place set up for us yet because she was still young. And um, I ended up um, bouncing back and forth between my brother and my sister. And um you know, it was, it was always a miracle that I didn't turn to drugs or, or liquor, but, uh, I knew how my mom would have felt, but that's not to say that I didn't have a lot of issues with cutting. Um, I did have a lot of suicidal thoughts, but there's a scene in my big fat Greek wedding. It always comes back to TV shows, music, and movies. There's a scene where the mother is telling the daughter, um, I gave you life so you could live it. So if I did anything to myself, I would have made my mom's whole memory worthless because she counts on me to make sure that I'm having the life that she wasn't able to stick around for. That's beautifully said. And I think it's felt when you lose a parent so young. 
how old were you when she passed away? 13. Shay, I think you're amazing. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I am so sorry. So many layers of trauma in this story. And Rachel and I have been like really kind of diving into this idea of of this being trauma and our body's trauma response and how we heal from these really unexpected experiences that many people around us don't understand. And I'm wondering if throughout this, you ever had like a feeling of a safe place or something that helped you feel safe throughout and maybe it was music. I don't know, but it was music. Yeah. That was the only thing I had. It's all I had. It's powerful. It was because music could bring me back to memories that I loved. It was, yeah, it was always music and it was so many different genres depending on what I needed to hear and how I felt and how I needed to feel less alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a big part of this podcast is trying to remember our loved ones for who they were before, you know, this happened to them and where they were diagnosed and or they started to change. You know, I know you were so young, but are you able to reach back and, and remember your mom and have a picture of like who she really was? Yeah. Oh yeah. I have so many different mementos from her and I do have some photos of her time with me, although she had gained a significant amount of weight during her childbirth with me and leading up to it that she didn't like to take a lot of photos. But that was our thing was that we were doing Richard Simmons sweat into the oldies every day. And um, she wanted to lose weight and, and she wanted to get a job and save up money so she could leave my father. And But yeah, I, I have audio tapes and VHSs and stuff. You know, thank God for places that convert oh, old media. Yes. Oh my gosh, I Costco. Love that. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Have you ever stopped to think about how nutrition plays a big role in the health of your brain? Most of us don't consume enough of the nutrients that are important for lifelong brain health. This is why we love NeuroReserve's daily supplement, Relevate. Relevate makes it easy to fill in the gaps in our diet every day. Modeled after the Mediterranean and Mind diets, every serving of Relevate contains a comprehensive, cost-effective bundle of 17 brain-healthy nutrients for less than buying a cup of coffee each day. We especially love NeuroReserve because it was founded by our friend, Ed Park, who dedicated his life to improving brain health after losing his father to Parkinson's and dementia. Ed has given our listeners a special code for 15% off all orders of Relevate, so head over to neuroreserve.com and learn more about their evidence-backed product, Relevate. Don't forget to use code REMEMBERME at checkout for 15% off, including subscriptions. That's neuroreserve.com, code REMEMBERME. What do you know about her childhood? Um, unfortunately, I don't know a lot about her childhood. I just know that she loved her family immensely. She was born in Los Angeles to a huge family, (laughs) huge, huge family. Um, they would get together on Sundays and, you know, my mom was very close with her mother who unfortunately also passed away young from a heart attack. 
and um, she was the oldest. So she had two brothers, um, the youngest I'm in touch with. They unfortunately weren't around while she was sick. We reconnected afterwards, but um, I, I kept trying to probe and find out more about what her childhood was like. I did find a report card of hers where there were remarks about how shy she was, which was so funny to me because when I think back on some of the home videos I've seen of her at my birthday parties, she was just full of piss and vinegar. Always, like I said, coming into my classroom and teaching the kids about different holidays and um, so that they could stop, you know, <laughs> bullying me and stuff for being the only Jewish kid in, in school. But um, yeah, apparently she was shy growing up, but she was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. She was working, my sister knows the story better than I do, but she was working at a counter, I think for cosmetics or perfume, and they were doing a shoot for a car ad in a newspaper. And they had already hired a blonde model, very statuesque. But when they saw my mom, they asked her if she could be in the ad too, because she was just that gorgeous. So (laughs) yeah. It's interesting you say that she was shy as a girl. I, I feel like that's kind of how my mom was, but I read some of my mom's old letters and stuff. And it sounds like she really gained confidence as a mom. Like that's where my mom just really thrived. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your mom was like as a mom? (laughs) Should I read something? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, this is uh, November 18th, 1993. Dear Journal, I'm Shay's mom, Nancy, and together we are going to write this journal. Then when Shay is older and can't remember the favorite times we shared, she can read this journal. Every morning, Shay comes downstairs and we snuggie for a while before she gets ready for school. And every night I lay down on her bed and we chat for a few minutes before she goes to sleep. Sometimes we read a book. I always say, I love you more than anyone. Then she shouts, mommy loves me more than anyone. And Sarah and my sister says from downstairs, hey, and Shay giggles. Today, we made some magic to start off the year. Shay is exactly eight and a half years old today. After we drove Saren to work, we got Shay a roast beef sandwich at Roy Rogers. I'm a vegan now. (laughs) Um, A three foot pile of snow was completely circling the parking lot. As we were leaving, Shay said, I sure wish I could play in that. So I pulled the car over and her face lit up as out she went. I rolled down the car window and blared the overture to Gypsy while following her around the parking lot. It was dark and the headlights were on and the music was loud and lively and it was great. Um, sounds like she was amazing. She really was the best person in the whole world. I love those little moments. She did that all the time. I, when she got let go as being a brownie leader, I told her I didn't want to be a brownie anymore. And so she said, well, we need a new tradition then. And she started taking me to the movies every Thursday instead. And we would go there and it would be around three o'clock right after school. And, uh, we would see a movie And then we would stay and see it again. And in between the movies, they would play the same songs over and over again. So it was the I Would Walk 500 Miles song. Oh, I love that one. And uh, (laughs) it was the Four Non Blonde song. So I would stand up front of the movie theater and perform for her. (laughs) And um, I remember because we were doing this on a weekly basis and because she was trying to lose weight, she used to pack grapes and apples for us to snack on. It was just the best. I just have so many memories of just being in the car with her listening to music or 
just all this time spent with her. She was like, she was my best friend 24 seven. You painted a beautiful picture of her. I feel like I know her heart. How do you think your mom would want to be remembered? It's hard for me to think about that because I find myself so stumped when I, I have to hold back from trying to make my nieces and nephews care about her. Um, it's, it's unfair to put that kind of pressure on a child that's never met someone older. You know, who cares? It's an adult. They were, they existed. I never knew them. It's fine. But my niece, Aviv, looks just like her. It's scary how much she looks like her. And my mom used to always tell me, I can't wait till I can sew clothes for my, for my grandchildren and they, they can call me Mamie. And I'm so excited to meet them one day. And she just had all of these dreams of the future that involved her grandchildren. And it, it breaks my heart because I have to stop myself from telling them these stories because I feel like I'm boring them. They're not at the age yet where they care, but she, I don't necessarily know that she cared about how she would be remembered as much as I care about how she is remembered. I don't want her to be remembered as someone who did inappropriate things or said the wrong thing. I want her to be remembered for being the most amazing mother because I only had her for nine years. But for those nine years, she was the most amazing mother. I'm trying not to cry, but like, go ahead, Marie. I want to hug you. I just, yeah. I, I would love to be hugged right now. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't believe how much you've been through, Shay. I, I just, I just, I'm so sorry. You got robbed. You got mm. robbed. Mm. Your mom got robbed. Yeah. And I feel we all did because she was everyone's favorite. Thank you so much for sharing her with us because. Next time my little son Liam says, mommy, I want to go do that. I wish I could go do that. Yeah. I'm going to think about your mom and I'm going to say, yeah, let's go do it. Always. It, there wasn't a park that we drove past that I wouldn't say, oh my gosh, that jungle gym looks really cool. And she would pull over. That's the best. That's the mom I want to be. Oh, <laughs> Mrs. Hast, you just raised the bar. Oh my gosh. She really did. She, oh gosh. I think about like my friends now and I think about relationships I've been in and how I've wanted her to be able to tell me what she thinks. I think about how I've, I've never gotten to have a phone call with her. Mm-hmm. Like something as simple as calling her. Mm-hmm. I never got to do. Uh, wow, I think about how much, of that. Wow. yeah, how much she would love Instagram because she always would carry around an album of my Halloween costumes that she sewed. <laughs> she would love Instagram. My mom would right now be killing it on TikTok, doing all types of crafts and sewing. <laughs> she would absolutely love it. Oh. And oh, gushing okay. over her grandchildren. Yeah. Your sister has children? Yes. Yeah, my sister and my brother. When she mothers her kids, do you see your mom? Oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Every time she records a video of them, she does the same send off. Okay, everybody say bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. And her voice, her vocal tone is just like my mom's. Wow. So when I hear her say certain things, I get triggered and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But then she says that my handwriting is just like my mom's. So it happens to her too. <laughs> it goes both ways. I do want to say that my sister 
just she held down was everything she really did sounds like she was incredible yeah because there has been such a gap between losing her and now yeah do you think mostly for my own knowledge do you think it ever gets easier no I I would love to say that it does but I've found that I don't know if it's because I'm getting older and as I get older, I get closer and closer to the age that she was when she started displaying symptoms. But my best friend, uh, God bless her. Um, she said that it's because she finally sees me coming into my own, that my mom is starting to come closer and closer to me, which is why I guess I'm so emotional. Um, to this day, it's, it's still very fresh for me. Mm -hmm. I think it's the trauma too. I mean, it's, I was going to say the same thing. Anything I'm sure is just triggering, you know, like if you drive by the market, you're like, oh, that's where she went missing or the journal. Like, I'm sure there's just still uncharted territory because you were so young. You were so young. It's not even so much places that I drive by anymore. It's really songs. If I put on Mel Carter, hold me, kiss me, thrill me, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get through the song without crying. Mm-hmm. If I put on the West Side Story Overture, Oy, yes, you know, like so I, if I hear somewhere, I'm going to, I'm going to remember, oh gosh, she used to sing that while washing dishes, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. it's really songs that take me back. As you know, we end the podcast on your loved one's words. So we would love to hear what Mrs. Hast has to say. (laughs) To my Shay, the most thoughtful, kindest, and talented person I know. When this you see, remember me. Love, mommy. Kiss, kiss, hug, hug, tickle, tickle. P.S. I love you more than anyone. Shush, don't tell the others. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We release new episodes each week on Tuesdays, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Remember Me Podcast or visit our website, RememberMeFTD.com. You can learn more about this week's sponsor, NeuroReserve, by visiting NeuroReserve.com. And don't forget to use our code RememberMe for 15% off at checkout. This podcast is produced by Maria Kempiers and Rachel Martinez. And the beautiful music you hear is a song called So Damn Lucky by Bailey Kent. <laughs>